Hello, I'm Elena Spiva with 21 News WFMJ, and it is the second week of Black History Month. This month, we celebrate Black culture as we educate others and learn more ourselves about what makes us who we are. And today, I have the privilege of speaking with YSU's Director of Africana Studies, Dr. Patrick Spearman. How are you, Dr. Spearman? Hey, I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Elena? <laughs> I'm doing good. Yes, thank you so much for joining me. Now, we all know it is Black History Month, and I want to dive into uh, the history and impact of Black culture. Now, when you hear that, Black culture, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I mean, when I, when I think of Black culture, I think of, well, two things. You know, Black culture is pretty much American culture. I mean, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, black culture has pretty much influenced American culture. Um, any any type of cultural aspect you want to deal with has very much been influenced by Africans and African-Americans. So when I think of black culture, I, I think of its melding with American culture. The other thing I think of part two is the things that we we brought from Africa that in many ways some people try to deny and act like it's not that Africa is not a part of African-American culture and African-American history when actuality it is. A lot of the things, the practices and, and the crops and, and the things that we do, even some of our religious practices in many ways are taken from Africa in many ways. And I mean, you know, it, but it, it's a connection to our past, our past in terms of, you know, grandparents and great grandparents and, and their ancestors. And, and we just kind of just like culture, it's something that you do. It's not something that you can necessarily define in terms of what it is. It's just something that, you know, is instilled in us. It's practices that we have. It's the way in which we speak. It's the way we relate to one another. And in many ways, it's things that are passed down from generation to generation. As we move, as we grow, as we change, you know, our cultures are influenced by a variety of different things. And that kind of helps to expand this thing that we talk about in terms of African and African-American culture. Um, it's different depending on where you are. And yeah. not only here in the continent of the United States, but around the world. But there's still those key elements that kind of connect all of us. When we talk about African people throughout the world or African people throughout the diaspora. You know, there's certain aspects of our culture that kind of connect us. Um, the one thing real quick I'll give you is just, you know, our reverence for family and our elders in many ways. Um, you know, I, I just share this briefly with you. Um, you know, uh, for me growing up, and I'll just be honest, you know, I, I was raised in, in our household. We had extended family. But when I looked at some of my other friends who were not African-Americans, you know, they of course, they had grandmothers, but their grandmothers didn't live with them. And so, you know, as a child, you want everything to be <laughs> just like it is on television. Yeah. You know, not understanding that, you know, that was something that was, you know, a part of our culture, you know, prior to me even being born. And that's something that, you know, we still hold true to today. And other cultures around the world do the same thing. Um, but, you know, certain aspects, we kind of want to mimic what other individuals are doing. And, you know, that sometimes doesn't serve our purpose. Right, right. Yeah, that was kind of a long-winded answer. But, you no, know, I it, love it. It kind of runs the gamut. You know, if you can think of any aspect of your life, we can talk about how that thing has either been influenced by some aspect of your family or some aspect of your life that you've had, you know, since you maybe moved out of your home and gone to college and now you have a job. All those different things kind of influence you. But still at your kernel, there's this aspect of things that have been passed down generation to generation that we hold on to. And that's a part of our culture. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I can relate. When I got into news, I was taught growing up that when you walk into a room and you see adults, 
Mm-hmm. You say oh hi God. and you hug everybody. Mm-hmm. So when I got into the news business, I would go to my segments and I'm not just saying hi, I'm hugging everybody. <laughs> and then you realize, you know, you, you don't have to hug everybody. And some people don't want you hugging right, their husbands. Right. And, right. But you look at yourself, you know, as this is how I was brought up. You don't think mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. of it, but you're like, these are adults. So I got to, I got to yeah. hug everybody. Yeah. So Exactly. You know, my idea. And that's what that's given honor. You know, that's yeah. honor to these individuals. I don't I, I you're somebody's mother, father. I, I don't know. But I know that if I come in, I'm I'm going to greet you. Um, like you said, that's how you were raised. Um, and like you said, and then a lot of people, that's the, I mean, they get in and they're whatever the purpose is, what they're going to do. You know, if I would go into a room with adults and not greet all the adults, I mean, you you liable to get oh, your head chopped off, right? It's so and true. So it's, and, and nobody's here telling me that. It's just, it's ingrained. <laughs> you know, you just know that. You say, oh, who, who did I talk to? Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, that type of thing. That's what we're talking about in terms of culture. Like you say, we connected on that immediately, whereas other individuals may not. And that a part of their upbringing, a part of their culture as well. But, you yeah. know, it, 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 it's, it, it's relative. How about that? You know, it, yeah. it's really relative. And, you know, it's, it's just real specific. So, yeah, I'll stop there. No, this is so good because when you talk about culture, sometimes people miss the whole relationship aspect mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. And I know from experience, um, my cousin married a white woman mm-hmm. and she would call my mother by her first name mm-hmm. and we would continue mm-hmm. to tell her like, hey, is aunt or miss so-and-so. Right. And she right, would continue right. to do it. So we start to think after a while, like, oh, she's just being disrespectful. She's mm-hmm. trying us, you know. But then she told us the last time when I was like, don't call my mom by her first name again. Yeah. She said, well, in our culture, if you call somebody miss or aunt, it doesn't it means that you're not connected to them, mm-hmm. that they're distant. So by calling her by her first name to, you know, based off how she was raised, right, right. she felt like that shows the closeness. And she was really sad when she found out like what she was doing wasn't working, but it just shows you how different mm-hmm. our cultures are. Right. But um, and, and, and so you raised that, you know, and, and that's really where it, it really has to go to. So you all had a conversation, yeah. you know, that there was a disconnect and no one's <laughs> trying to be disrespectful, but there, there's, there's a disconnect there sometimes. And so we have to have that conversation. I, I can give you a, just a quick example. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I was going through graduate school, um, you know, when you, you are professors were doctors. And so when I met them, you know, they were doctor so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, no matter how close we got, even upon graduation, I could not bring myself to call them by their first name. Right. If, if I bumped into them now at a conference or somewhere, you know, you're still going to be doctor so-and-so to me because mm-hmm. that's how I initially met you. Now, for, for me, sometimes some of my colleagues that I went to school with, it, you know, I joke with them, hey, doctor so-and-so, they get out of here. You know who I am. You know, that's different, but I'll, I don't know what it is. I, I, and I'll tell them, you know, and it's not, it's no sense of disrespect. I'm not yes. trying to put you off. That's how I met you. That's how I know you. Right. Um, and we can be as close as ever, but I'm still going to give you that respect because, you know, it, that's just how I am. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It just shows that we all have something to learn from each other's oh, culture. Yeah. Yes. Um, another thing uh, is let's talk about you know, buying power in the black community. Mm-hmm. I think this conversation is so important because I don't think we realize how much we're actually worth. Mm-hmm. And it shows that African Americans, they have a spending power of over $1.2 trillion. Wow. That's a lot. And oh, yeah. advertisers oh, yeah. use our culture and influence 
to win over the masses. So what do you think about that, Dr. Spearman? I'm sure you see it all over the TV when it comes to the music and yeah. how, you know, we're dressed. Uh, it, interesting. Um, I have I have, I have two children. My, my son, he's 20. My daughter is 16. Uh, my daughter, more so than my son, you know, she listens to the, to the rap music, hip hop music. And so every so often, you know, when she's listening, you know, and, and we may see something on television where they have a hip hop beat or someone, you know, whatever. I say, you know, this is interesting. Um, I can remember a time where you would never see that on television. I can remember a time where there was no category for, in the Grammys for, for rap artists, rap single, rap album, whatever it is. Um, there were no commercials that used rap music. You know, there were no performances on these award shows that featured, you know, rappers or, or artists that use hip hop beats. And now you see how, you know, pretty much now, I mean, is, is there even, even R&B now? You know, because yeah. most of the music I hear uses hip hop beats and, you know, rapping or rapping and singing and things like that. You know, I don't have an issue with it, but it's just interesting, like you said, how the culture has kind of shifted and, you know, we're the ones and I can remember it so vividly, you know, you know, people didn't want you couldn't hear it on the radio. Number one, forget it. I mean, if, if you were a, a famous rapper, the only way you kind of got, quote unquote, airplay was if people went out and bought your your CDs, your tapes, your 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 records, whatever, and played them in the cars. That's how you knew or by talking to people. You know, there were very few radio stations outside of the coast, you know, New York and L.A. that had, you know, rap stations, hip hop stations. I mean, pretty much now here in Youngstown, where we have at least, at least two right hip hop stations. But, you know, that that's a new phenomenon. And it's so interesting because, you know, when it first started, nobody wanted to touch it. Nobody wanted to deal with it. Oh, what are they doing? You know, talking all fast, scratching over records. That's not going <laughs> to yeah. last. And yet here it is. How many years later? It made me feel, oh, um, what, 40 plus years later. And it's still here. It's vibrant. You know, who's spending all the money on the hip hop records? who's spending all the money on the hip hop concerts and it's a growing industry. Now we could have a, a different later conversation in terms of what direction is going in. Right. But you know, the issue is that it, it we've set the trend for that thing. And in many ways, you know, individuals are now following our lead in terms of how the, the dress, the, the clothes, the lingo, all those things have kind of been, you know, started in, in the urban centers on, on both coasts and then also in the South and now it's everywhere. It's, it's all yeah. over the world for, for the most part. So, yeah. yeah, that that I mean, I look, use that as an example. We can go all the way back and talk about it in terms of jazz music. The same thing, you know, when it first started, people didn't want to hear it. There's a bunch of noise. They couldn't understand it, especially when they get to that bebop era. When you talk about the 40s and the 50s, I mean, get out of here with that. Um, and then slowly but surely, you know, that was what the cool people listened to. You know, that's right. how you show that you were into it. If you could listen to that and understand it and I knew all the artists and things like that. It's the same thing with that. So, you know, I, I see those things happening and it's interesting because when you live through it, you think, oh yeah, this is it. But then if you do a little study and a little history, you say, no, it, 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 it's happening. It happens in cycles in many ways. It's nothing to get mad about, but right. you just have to understand that. It, it, and here's the thing. If, if you can buy into who you are and what you represent and, and how, how great you are as African and African-American people, and, and quit trying to act like you're something that you're not. I, I think that would help individuals to kind of um, settle down and embrace themselves and love themselves as opposed to trying to imitate people who are trying to imitate them. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I read up that Nielsen, uh, the rating system, in 2015, advertisers will look towards um, 
black people mm-hmm. for different categories and they had their top five in each category. And I thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. In music, it was Beyonce. In movies, it was Will Smith. In TV, it was Oprah. In sports, it's Michael Jackson. So if you wanted to sell something in com- campaign or mm-hmm. advertise, these were the top people in the nation, not just saying, you know, black people, but it just shows at the top of those lists of the the top people in each category Mm -hmm. are all Mm -hmm. black people. Mm -hmm. And it really shows you how much we push the envelope and the curve when it comes to advertising. When you watch a McDonald's commercial or your favorite um, beverage Sprite is a hip hop beat underneath that commercial. So it, it does show how we push the envelope. You mentioned catchphrases, um, and that's big right now. Yeah. A lot of people, they talk about how we talk, and, it, and we know how to code switch in our professional right, right, settings. Right. But our lingo, you hear women saying, you know, I'm snatched. Black women were saying, oh, I'm getting snatched this summer, mm-hmm. which means, you know, I'm slimming down. Now oh, everyone's saying well, it. I, yeah, I, you didn't hear. I'm I sure you that. wouldn't have to use yeah, that. No, I, I would know that, but okay. But slay and okay. I'm beating my face, which uh-huh. means you got a really nice makeup, you know, job done and sharing the tea. Okay. Now I you know, know the tea is what? Like sharing gossip. gossip yeah, yeah. Throwing shade is somebody, you know, trying to throw an insult mm-hmm. at you. Mm-hmm. And these are things that we've been saying. And now you hear everyone saying that so kind of hit on how our culture is really a you know it it kind of latches on to everyone whether they like it or not (laughs) i mean it it it, well you know what and i I, like i said it sets the trend for what's cool what's popular in many ways you know we we set those trends and oftentimes and you know you I can just remember that you always wanted to be the one that had the newest or the latest, you know, we're talking about lingo now, but you know, the latest song or whatever it was, you wanted to be on the top. You wanted to be on the cutting edge of that thing. And I mean, you know, that, that that's what you struggle. You don't want to be late. You know, you don't right. want to come thinking that you know, so like, man, we talked about that. I'm going to get out of here. We talked about that a month ago, you know? So we, yeah, we've always kind of set those trends. And like I, I was going to say a minute ago, um, it's historic, you know, yeah. it's historic in terms of, you know, again, w- w- when jazz started, and I keep making these jazz references because I-, I just finished reading um, Cicely Tyson's book, Just As I Am. And so, you know, she had a relationship with Miles Davis. And so, you know, it kind of walked me through that path. And so um, it, w- w- with the jazz in many ways, and then with 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 the R&B, with Motown, you know, it, it started off small with those group of individuals and then it blew up. And now everybody was, you know, trying to imitate the jazz masters. Everybody was singing, you know, songs from the Supremes and then some of them copying those songs oftentimes. Um, so we've always set the trends. We've always held the standard in many ways. And then, you know, individuals come in and the sad part is particularly when you deal with artists, you know, sometimes they come in and people take, they don't have the rights to their music and people come in and take over and they make a mint off of the music and the person who wrote it and, and saying it and originated doesn't make anything. And so that's one of the negative things about the whole idea of the trendsetter that, you know, um, we, we set the trends and we don't know our value, right? right? So someone comes to us and says, hey, you know what? I can give you 2 million for all of that, you know, all of that and whatever you create for the next five years. And you think, oh, wow, $2 million. But they see more, 2 million is nothing to them because they see the value in that. Yeah. You know, the thing that kind of, and I'm not a fan by any stretch of the imagination, but made me think of it. I, I read Lil Wayne probably a month, a month or so ago, you know, he sold his, 
his master, not only his masters, but I think a lot of the masters of the individuals that were on his label or part of his, his group or whatever. Um, I don't know what the number was and it really doesn't matter because I just, I hate to see that happen because you never know. We, we're talking about how we set the trends. You know, those songs that he wrote could be used for commercials 10 years from now and he won't see a dime of it, you right. know, because someone saw the potential in that. And instead of us connecting that creativity and holding on to it, you know, someone comes and, and gives you X amount of dollars and you think that that's all it's worth. And so you sell that. I really hate when that happens. You know, I hate, I hate to see that happen. And so that's one of the downsides in terms of us kind of setting those trends. that We don't really know our value in that thing. Yeah, that's so true. Now, most recently, uh, politics, that, that's been the talk lately. And we we really saw black culture during this election. And people may say even Joe Biden's pick for vice president was, you know, it could have been a chess move. You know, we need a minority. You know, we want that vote. Let's get her in there. Of course, she's qualified, not taken away from that uh, at all. But um, black culture was huge when it came to this election. Even what Stacey Abrams Mm -hmm. did, you know, we really shifted. We shift that vote. Again, you'll get tired of me saying this, Um, (laughs) but, but it's historical. The same thing happened in 1960 with with uh, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. You know, it was the black vote in many ways. And I did, so I, I teach a course, Africana Studies. And so we were just looking at that period of the 1960s, uh, 1960 to be specific in terms of the Freedom Riders and also the, the yes. Greensboro fraud that occurred and how, you know, Dr. King was arrested during 1960. And, you know, he um, candidate Kennedy called Coretta Scott King and said, you know, hey, I'm real sorry, you know. What can I do? And he's like, well, you know what you can do? You can get him out of jail. You know, right. what are you talking about? And so, you know, he made that call or had someone made that call and he got released. And of course, you see that. You're like, oh, get out of here. He's my man. And so African-Americans swung their votes towards Kennedy and other things as well. But again, we, we're always that that determining, that deciding factor in many ways. You saw the definitely saw that this past election with yes. uh, between Biden and um, uh, uh, Sanders. I mean, you know, it, you, you, you're in the news, you know, um, coming out of Iowa, going into, um, we don't know who's going to be the nominee, you yes. know, because it was, it was Buttigieg and it was, yeah. And so then after South Carolina, when African-Americans went in, and, and put their weight behind Biden, that's what kind of turned the tide for him. So I think he almost really had to. And think I, I he probably promised some people, like, if, if you can make this happen for me, I'll make sure I make it worth your while. And let's let's wait to see. So far, it looks pretty good um, yeah. in terms of what he's been doing in terms of legislation, his executive orders, and things like that, as well as the cabinet. We have some people who are kind of critical that his cabinet needs to be a little bit more diverse. And okay, cool. You know, we can, we can have that conversation as well. But you know, it's vastly different than the individual who just left the White House, number one. And we'll just have to wait and see in terms of those policies, in terms of how they roll out and how they impact, you know, not just certain segments of the African-American community, but the, the entire community, you know, the, the poor, the working class, as well as the middle, the middling classes and, and the wealthy in our communities. But yeah, always kind of that, 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 um, that deciding factor in terms of which way certain things will go. You talked about Stacey Abrams in terms of, you know, going out and getting these all for, for that election in Georgia, getting these people not only registered to vote, but ultimately making sure they went to the polls. 
that's what turned that election. Because you, yeah. I mean, we were waiting. When was that? <laughs> a couple of days after. The, well, who's going to win this thing? Right. Oh, exactly. So, you know, same thing there. And then, you know, what? Was it maybe two years ago when it happened in um, Alabama with Doug Jones? So the same thing. African-American women went out there, galvanized the vote, and got um, other African-Americans to put their support behind Doug Jones so he could be elected to Senate. So it, it, it's, I, I think that the, the, the important thing is, and the thing we need to pay attention to, is that they are really, individuals are waking up to their yeah. power that they have. You know, no, no more, in, any more power than anyone else, but you see the power you can have when you vote as a group and exercise your power in a particular direction, and you'll see what happens. Now, if it doesn't work out, then you exercise your power in a different direction, but let, let's see this and see how it plays out. But definitely, we saw that with these last elections, the, the, the small election in Georgia, as well as the national election in November. And staying on the topic of politics, uh, Obama, President Obama, he is Black history. And if you can think of a few things that may have changed the culture of what a president, you know, may do or not do. I remember with President Obama, um, we would see him a lot in the public eye, not just doing, you know, his job, but you would see him on the late night shows. He became more, you know, he became reachable to to us, relatable. And um, even Michelle Obama, they said that she was one of the first ladies who changed the game when it came to fashion, what a first lady wore to mm-hmm. balls and not wearing tights and stockings and mm-hmm. just shifting that what a first lady should be or do and owning it. And right. now we're really seeing that, you know, with other first ladies, it seemed like Melania, she kind of did her own thing when it came to fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Biden, he was just on GQ posing with a little smirk, looking oh. real cool. You know what I mean? So, um, do do anything come to mind when you think about how the Obamas kind of shifted the presidential space and made it a little bit more cool and relatable? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I guess so. the moment you said that, the, 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 the picture that kind of flashed in my mind, I don't know if you, you probably did see the picture where um, Obama, I think he was probably in the White House and there was a young African-American uh, man boy was there with him and he had his head bent down and he put he was rubbing his head on Obama's head to see like their hair texture was the same you know so the, I, I think what it does like you said makes it reachable in terms of you know those eight years but also reachable in the future you know it would be hard pressed for me to say that we would have the first African-American woman vice president had it not been for the first African-American president and I mean we have to pay homage to Shirley Chisholm in 1972. We have to pay honors to Jesse Jackson, 1984, 19, yeah. 1988. Um, but in terms of Obama, like you said, it makes it reachable as it relates to this is something that can be done. This and 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 not only that, that you know, you don't have to give up who you are. And this is a conversation we, we have in, in my in my some of my classes as we deal with um, culture, um, particularly for African American students and other students of color. You know, we we always kind of wrestle with this question in terms of you know, in order for you to be successful, do you have to give up some aspect of who you are? Do you have to give up, like we talked about before, in terms of the way you talk, the way you dress, how you interact with, you know, other friends and family members? You know, do you have to give those things up in order to be successful? And at least on uh, from from my from my vantage point, you know, President Obama didn't have to do that. You know, uh, Michelle didn't have to do that. You know, they, they were their authentic selves. And I think that's what kind of pulled them into us. Right. We, we, we saw ourselves there. 
um, you know, as a, as, as, a, as a father, as a husband, you know, you could see yourself. I don't have two daughters. I have a son and a daughter. But, you know, you could see yourself in that space. And I say, he's probably dealing with some of the same things that I'm dealing with a teenage daughter, you know, just because you're on that stage. The same things, you know. It, so it really definitely connected us to him. But it also let individuals know that this is something that is attainable. You know, you just because all we have seen before were white males, you know, now if you've seen an African-American man there, you know, that's something you can do in the future. Um, so that's that's the connection I make with that. But definitely, you know, they were able to stay the authentic selves in that space. I think that is so important. I love that you said that, you know, in any business, even in news, it's so important that I continue to, to remind myself that I can be a black woman in this space. I don't have to, you know, adjust who I am to make other people comfortable. I'm here for a reason. And my culture will inspire other people who look like me, you know, and that that's so good because I feel like we are um, sometimes we are made to believe that we have to um, be someone else to succeed in a space where we're the minority, you know. Mm-hmm. So oh, well, definitely. And so to connect to that, and this is this is in your in your field. I, I mm-hmm. you know I know you probably heard about the, the thing that's happening in CBS. Um, we, we before we moved here, uh, my family we lived in Philadelphia, so I, I'm familiar with Yuki Washington, and we used to watch him on the news. Um, had no idea that all this was going on behind the scenes, and so it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. You know, you know all the asp- everything that makes you who you are in many ways. You know, that's what these individuals were attacking with their racist yeah. attacks in terms of you know you can't be professional and be that way. It's like, come on, get out of here! Are you, what are you talking about? Um, and so I'm glad that we'll see what happens. But at least, you know, the, it, the door has been open and, you know, they're kind of dealing with the situation. We'll, we'll wait and see what what punishment happens with these individuals. But it's just a shame that, you know, you, you in, you know, 1990, 2000, here we are in 2020, some individuals don't feel like they can be their authentic selves, whatever the position is, whatever the job is. That's that's for me, that's very problematic. Um, and it, and the other thing that's kind of connected to that. You know, sometimes we feel that we're not enough, we, that we can't, it, we, we, don't, we don't have what it takes because we look at these other individuals and we try to measure our expertise and our value and our experience to their experiences. Like, look, it's two di- totally different experiences. And let's go back to our original conversation. We're the trendsetters. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you back and look, wait a minute, you're using language that I use in, in, at home. Now you're trying to use it here and try to chastise me for using it, but you use it as cute. Cute. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we have to get in a, in a space where we feel comfortable in our own skin yeah. and, and step out there and say it. And you, we know you're qualified, so we don't even go there with that. We know that probably overqualified for the most part. Step out there and be who you are, be your authentic self. You know, you may not get every job, but the job that gets you, they want you for you. I mean, I would hate to be somewhere that didn't want me for me. And I have to put this, put that mask on every day to go to work, to interact with people. And that's not how I feel. That's not how I get down. And so now I've, I, I'm, 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 I'm in a straitjacket. Right. I can't be me. I can't say what I really feel. You know, that, that's a terrible way to live. I don't care how much money you make. If, if you can't feel comfortable in your own skin in that environment, every day seems like it's a week and every week seems like it's a year. You'll never, I mean, it, it, it's just, it, I, and hopefully we, we, I try to tell my students, you know, you want to be your authentic self as much as you can. That's so good. Now, um, Black History Month is so important to let everyone know that it's not just a month of education and celebrating 
our culture. We can celebrate Black history every day, and it's important that we do so, right? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. You already know how I feel about yeah. that. Yes. Um, and this, this is cool. I And no, no disrespect to anybody, yeah. but we do this all year round. You know, yeah. I mean, I do this all year round. So, you know, I, I it's interesting. I, I kind of wait and see what people kind of bring <laughs> out. And this is a time you probably get to see a lot of things you normally wouldn't get to see. Right. Um, but things are out all the time. And I, I, I try to, I, I, in addition to being the director of the Africana Shows Program, I'm also I'm in a teacher ed department at, at YSU. And so, you know, I'm preparing young people to go out and be teachers. And so when we talk about this whole idea of, Black History Month, multicultural education, I say, look, you know, it can't be a bulletin board. It can't be something you put on your wall. It can't be I have a dream and Rosa Parks. It needs to be something that's a part of your teaching practice on a daily basis. If you're really trying to instill certain values in all of your students, not just your students who are black and brown, but all of your students, it has to be something that you do on a regular basis. And that means that you have to know it in order for you to teach it. Um, So we, we really I'm trying to push that thing all the time. You know, let's deal with it the way it was intended. It was intended to be a a period where you would take that Negro History Week, Black History Week, and then Black History Month to plan for the rest of the year. You would gather your materials, you would go out and you would get materials, and you would figure out how am I going to infuse all of these other courses, not just history, but all of my other courses. How am I going to make sure that we incorporate the background, the experience, the history, the contributions of African-American people? in all of these curriculums to make sure that our students come out of here with a better understanding of how these individuals impacted the world. That, that, that's really what it's all about. Um, and somehow we got it twisted where we think we just throw some stuff on a bulletin board or we mm-hmm. have an assembly or we invite someone in and they do a talk and nothing wrong with a talk. But, you know, that's gone as soon as you leave. Oh, yeah. Bus and go home, you know, and so we have to figure out we have to take it back to where it initially started and try to work towards trying to instill that stuff throughout the academic year, not just one time. And give us a few tips on how we can, you know, celebrate our culture daily. I know that, you know, opening opening up a book <laughs> can help maybe committing to reading a book by an African-American author or just learning about making sure you're learning something new about your history every month. Like what are some, a few tips that you have to continue celebrating our legacy. Yeah. I mean, my, my thing is always um, I, a couple things. Um, you know, you don't have to go out and spend a lot of money. You don't have to go out and, and buy a whole lot of different things. Um, you can find a lot of things at the, the public library, the library that's either you, and I know downtown they're doing renovations, so it may be difficult to get things there, but the branches in many ways, um, you can get books there. I always like to start with the children's books because mm-hmm. the children's books are short, they're sweet. You can get some of the, the high points and they can introduce you to other individuals that have maybe had an impact in a variety of different areas. I mean, we, we love to talk about the social studies and the history, but there's so many other individuals who've made contributions in the field of mathematics and the field yes. of science and, and political science and things like that. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I really believe that it really starts with, with the books. And, but it, it's really about, for me, um, and this is the thing we constantly talk about it in terms of teacher ed, is that it's about kind of instilling in young people, old people too, but definitely young people, you know, this feeling of lifelong learning. You know, if I can ignite, ignite this passion, I don't know what it is. If I can ignite a, a passion in you to want to learn, to want to seek out information, then, you know, I can just give you a topic and you can go. 
Yeah. But that, uh, trying to tap into what that thing, what is that thing that you're interested in that you do? I always tell students in terms of, you know, what you want to do, you know, what's that thing you would do for free? What, what is that thing that you enjoy so much that I would do this for free? You don't have, have to pay me. If you can find that thing and you can tap into what that young person wants to do for free and you can connect that to some aspect of African-American history and culture, you know, you can at the same time create them and make them a lifelong learner, but have them also learn about the background and experiences of African and African-American people. Um, particularly when you're talking about black and brown students, if you can tap into that, you know, um, but it, it's real. And sometimes if, if they can just see themselves that you mean that someone who looks like me, we just talked about it a minute ago in terms of President Obama, you mean someone who looks like me did this or was the president of that or made this contribution, but it has to be something that they're interested in. And, and, and that hopefully, right, will get them on their way. Once you ignite that passion and that fire, you know, you just have to give them a direction. You just have to give them a topic and they'll go and do the research for you. That's right. really what it's about, you know, because look, I'm only I'm only going to be with you for four years, maybe four and a half. And then you're going to be out on your own. Um, tell your students, I'm only going to be with you for a year. So I have a year to ignite that passion in you so that once you leave my classroom, you're, you're on like gangbusters. Everywhere right. you go, you're trying to draw connections and make things happen. Um, that, that's, that's really what, and that's really what it's about in terms of, you know, when we talk about Carter G. Wilson, the one who established Negro History Week that became African American History Month, Black History Month. Um, it's about instilling that passion in young people to want to learn, you know, because we, we've been in, sometimes we've been in environments where, you know, people don't think learning is cool or, or, or achieving academically is cool. And if you can get through that madness and then try to instill a passion in them for the, to learn, you know, the rest, they can do anything else. We are, we know what they can do, you know, dealing with what they're dealing with now. Just imagine if you put some knowledge behind that and they can make some, you know, some real concrete idealistic choices that make a difference, not only for themselves, but also make a difference for their community. Yeah. And before we go, name drop some, maybe some good books or movies that we can watch. I know growing up and people may say, you know, my parents are crazy for doing this because I was very young, but they would make me sit down and watch Roots. <laughs> and I was sitting there crying and I'm saying, why? Why is he hitting him like that? You know, but um, it, I felt, I feel as an adult that it was important that my parents made sure I knew <laughs> where we came from, how we got here. Um, right. it's important. You know what? That's an excellent question. I mean, I have a whole bunch of books, but don't get me started. Um, <laughs> let me, let me just say this. Yeah. Um, name drop a few. <laughs> oh yeah, I, you know, the, the number one series I would recommend is the series eyes on the prize. I'm pretty sure you saw that the PBS series, um, this out, I think you can find copies of that in the, in the local libraries. There are probably clips on YouTube. Um, I, I start there because it's easily accessible in terms of what you what you can find. And, you know, it kind of charts that path. I mean, it starts in the 1950s, 1954, 1955 with the murder of Emmett Till and takes you all the way up to probably 1985. So you're talking about a 30 year span, but it's real good um, 50s throughout the 60s, early part of the 1970s. Um, that, that gives you a lot. And it hits a lot of those different areas we talked about in terms of literature, in terms of history, in terms of politics, in terms of arts, all of those things are there. So definitely I would recommend the Eyes on the Prize series. There were two, there were two parts. The first part kind of started in 55 and went to um, 1965. And then the second one started in 65 and went to 85. 
I recommend both parts. Um, that's very good. Also, the thing I would recommend is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, I don't care what age you're in, you read that. Um, and it is, it's funny, um, I, I assign that to, to, to both of my classes now. And, you know, it, it, it for them, because they come at it from different perspectives, you know, it says something different to both to both constituencies, both groups of students. But I, I, I recommend that for young people, middle school, high school age, definitely recommend it for college age, definitely recommend it for adults. Because I, I just know me, I mean, I think the first time I read it, I was in middle school, high school. And so I read it and certain, you, you pull certain things out. Um, when you read it in college, you pull right. different things out. Yeah. When I read it as an adult, you know, as a father, you know, I pull different things out. And so I'm reading it right now as my students are reading. And every time I read it, I pull something out. It's well-written. You know, it's about, you know, Malcolm X, someone who's not really talked about it. He is talked about. He's talked about in a very narrow sense. So it gives you a better understanding of who he is as an individual and what kind of influenced him along the way. The reason why I like it is because you, you see that these individuals didn't start, you know, as, as, as leaders. You know, they, they didn't start off as, you know, making speeches. No, start off just like you, a regular individual, some trials and tribulations. And, you know, you know the story in many ways, you know, right. some things legal, end up going to prison, introduced to Islam in prison, comes out as Muslim minister. But the one thing you saw of the different transitions, the reason why I use it is because, yes, you walk through his life, but you see the importance of education. You see what happened to him when he was in jail and how he transformed and how once that that fire that spark was ignited, you know, it never went out, you know, so much so that, you know, he created problems in those organizations because he was constantly thinking, he was constantly growing. And if you can see that model and that example, and then you can buy into that and then begin to, you know, change and transform your life based on education, that's all we want you to do. Um, so definitely that one. I'm trying to think of a, um, oh man, I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> Just look around your room. <laughs> I see but, you got a nice well, bookshelf there. I, I can't I can't forget the, the sisters. Definitely um Cicely Tyson yes. is I am. Um, yes. I'm 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 that I'm almost done uh with that one. And it, it it's so good. I mean, of course I know Cicely Tyson. For some younger people, they might not recognize her or know, you know, the, the, the profound impact she had, not only in terms of you know, culture in terms of media, in terms of movies and television, as well as the theater. But in reading it, it, it really gives you a history of all these different periods. So if you're not familiar with those periods and you haven't lived through them, you know, that's a jumping off point. I, I'm trying to get people books that they can read and things they can see that will take them in different directions. I don't want that to be the end all the be all. So you read that and it sparks an interest. Well, who is this person? Well, where is that person? What type of, you know, those things. And then you can go in different directions and kind of kind of create your own curriculum in terms of the things that you're concerned about, the things you're interested in. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll stop there. I mean, I, I, I think that's enough. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'll stop there because I'll start pulling off stuff from everywhere. Uh, yeah, but yeah. with uh, Cicely Tyson's uh, recent passing, uh, give me one thing that stood out to you from her book when it comes to the impact she has made on the entertainment industry. Thank you for that. I'm glad you reminded me. I, I was going to say this too. The one thing she kept reiterating throughout, and you saw her from the very beginning, she knew her value. She knew her value. And, and she she said throughout, she said, you know, she talked about the period of 1970s where we're familiar, you know, the black exploitation films and all this stuff. And so, you know, she was very popular. 
Um, and so they would give her script. She said, I'm not doing this. You know, this is this does not speak highly of me or my people. I'm not I'm not going to even represent that. Get out of here. Not doing it. So she knew her value and she would not do anything that she would be seen as demeaning to herself or to African-Americans. And I just wish that if, if everybody could read that and, and stop doing things just for the money or just for the cloud or whatever you know term people use just to get your name out there. Um, you know, she 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 had style, she had grace, yeah. and she knew her value, and she didn't take anything from anybody. You know, like I said, we were talking about before in terms of her relationship with Miles Davis. I'm not going to give too much away in terms of the book, but I'll just say that you know, she, she said, you know what, I I I I took some things I probably shouldn't have, but when I got to a point where I wasn't going to take it anymore, I was done. I was done with him. I was done with relationship. Still cared for him, but I, I know I couldn't do that anymore. And so, you know, for, for, I'm reading this as a man. I'm saying, wow, you know, not a, if, if, if sisters could do that, if, if, if guys, if brothers could do that, right? right. This, is, this is, this is, only, I'm not going any further. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to demean myself. I'm not going to wear this. I'm not going to talk this way. You know, those are the things that I, I guess I pull away from that more so than anything else. I mean, because it started at the very beginning of her life, you know, and she carried that all the way through, you know, and um, yeah, that that's the thing that really, really spoke to me throughout. And I, I, I mean, I, of course I knew about Sister Tyson, but I didn't know how much of, you know, how much of that really stuck with her in terms of, you know, what she would do and what she wouldn't do. Wow. A woman with so much integrity. <laughs> Most definitely. Yes. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to add before we uh, go? Hey, go, go to your local library and, yes. and get some books. Um, yes. Learn about your history, learn about your culture, learn about African-American history and culture. Learn about the things that we've contributed to this society and to this country and to the world, for that matter. Um, don't just rely on February or Black History Month to be the only time you learn something about yourself, if you're African-American or about African-American history and culture. You can do that all year round. Um, yes, we're Black all year round. <laughs> black, black. We don't stop being Black on, you know, February 28th or 29th during the leap year. So, you know, continue that thing. And, and I just want people to, you know, become more aware and become more focused and try to change and transform the world to make it better for everyone. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Spearman. Thank you for your time. Um, this was a great conversation and I'm a, I have to check out some of those books. I was writing them down as you were saying them. So thank that's, you. That's, I think if you read Mr. <laughs> Tyson, if you haven't already, I think you get it. I mean, it, I have to grab that. It, it's very good. And it, it goes so it goes very quickly. It, it's not it's not a boring read whatsoever. Um, I, I think you get a lot out of it. I would love for you to read it and then maybe shoot me an email or something later. And yeah, tell me about it. absolutely. Okay. Thanks again. And happy Black History Month to you, Dr. Spearman.